Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where Fine is a Four-Letter Word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Sometimes things seem to fall apart just when you think all is going well. And sometimes it seems to happen over and over where it feels like you can never catch a break. But what if those moments where things are no longer fine turns out to be springboards that move you to the next step? Growing up, Yvonne Marchese was raised with a strong work ethic. Her father sold suits. Her mother worked, even though she preferred to be a stay-at-home mom. Her father's mantra was, don't be afraid to scrub a toilet. The lesson stuck. Yvonne's dream was to be a theater actress. She went to college for it, working her way through school in line with her work ethic. Then she married right out of college and began doing theater in Denver while holding down the first of many survival jobs. But she was on her way. Everything seemed fine. But fine is a four-letter word. Yvonne and her husband got divorced. This was her chance. She made her way to New York City, the best place to be if you want to act in theater. While she started acting again, she held another series of survival jobs that worked out quite well. Her employer gave her generous time off to pursue her dream. While on a two-month tour, she met her second husband. They started a family, her acting career went into high gear, and everything seemed fine. But again, fine is a four-letter word. How could she pursue a theater career and be a mom? Now that she could make a living off theater, How did it suddenly become a job rather than a dream? She stopped theater, transitioning into work-from-home jobs. But with her kids' different nap times, this arrangement proved unsustainable. So she got a full-time job that lasted until the economic crash of 2008. Once again, she was asking, what am I going to be when I grow up? The next morning, she woke up and decided to become a photographer, the profession she enjoys to this day. However, at 48, she found it impossible to get out of bed and get going. She was tired and angry all the time, screaming at her kids for being late when she was the one running behind. An introduction to Mel Robbins' book, The Five-Second Rule, led her down the self-help path. She took up meditation. Her kids noticed she was happier. And once again, everything seemed fine. Until that morning, she was frightened by the middle-aged woman staring back in the mirror. In a moment, when you meet Yvonne, you'll discover how each of these moments where things were no longer fine proved to be catalysts bringing her closer to her destiny. Today, she's an age agitator on a mission to explore what it means to age playfully, 
who believes it's never too late to pursue a dream and that the stories we tell ourselves have tremendous power in our lives. She's the host of Late Bloomer Living podcast and the Midlife Uprising Summit and the author of In Full Bloom, A Guide to Aging Playfully. Along the way, she's had even more moments where she discovered things weren't fine. But we'll let Yvonne tell us the rest. Like Yvonne, you may find your dream becomes unsustainable. Or once you achieve it, suddenly it's not what you expected. Now what? The first step is to go to zenrabbit.com and download the five easy ways to start living the sabbatical life guide. Once you read it, you'll be able to understand and embrace things that up until now have not made sense to you. It's only seven pages, so it won't take you long to get through. The five tactics are pretty simple, but once you follow even one of them, you may find the answers to questions you didn't even think to ask. When you're ready to say fuck being fine, then this guide is the place to start. It's time to blaze a new trail and chart a new course. Now, let's go meet Yvonne. She's got quite a story to tell, and like you, I can't wait to hear it. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Yvonne Marchese. I got it right. You got it right. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lori. It's awesome. We to be are with laughing you. because we were just cracking each other up before I even hit record. So this is going to be a good episode. <laughs> oh my goodness! Watch out! Tell so I got the name right, but tell you just told me this story. Tell me the story of when you moved to New York, and then I'll get into asking the question I always start with. Oh my goodness! So my name looks like Marchese first of all. And I grew up in El Paso, Texas, which is as far west as you can go in Texas without falling into New Mexico or Mexico. And there were no Marchese's where I grew up until until a certain point in time when we realized there was another Marchese in town. And we were like, whoa, there's another Marchese in town. And he had exactly the same name as my dad, Frank Marchese. We were like, what are, what are the chances? So anyway, grew up spelling my name for people, pronouncing my name for people if they saw it in print first, the whole thing. Um, I grew up also wanting to be an actress and wanting to move to New York City when I was older. Oh, my gosh, that was my big dream. And I finally did that in my 20s. And I remember going to the DMV and I was so excited to get my license. And I'm, I show up to the DMV and she says, what's your last name? And I said, Marchese. And I started to spell it. And she was like, I know how to spell it. And I was like, <laughs> I am home. I have arrived. This is, this is my place. <laughs> These are my people. Yep. There you That's go. Awesome. So speaking of growing up, that leads right into that first question of what are the values and beliefs that you were raised with mm. that contributed to you becoming who you became as a young adult and who you've now developed into? Yeah, uh you know, I, I think whenever somebody asks me that question, Lori, the first thing that comes to my mind is is work ethic. Um, mm. My 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 parents are are very much they believe in you work hard, you get what you work for, kind of kind of thing. And my dad grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York. He was a houseboy. Um, for a number of, my grandfather was a, uh, my grandfather, my dad's side was a milkman. 
uh, delivered milk the old-fashioned way with a horse and buggy, and my oh, dad wow. worked with him on the back of that and helped with the horse, all these things. And, uh, and you know, they work was just really – my dad was like, don't be, don't be afraid to scrub a toilet. You know, I remember mm-hmm. him saying that a lot. And my mom worked the whole time that I was growing up, you know. She – she didn't want to be a working mom. It was out of necessity. So she really would have preferred to be a stay-at-home mom. But I did watch her go and do that. I also watched her go back to school when she was in her 40s mm. to get her associate's degree um, because education was also important to my parents. Uh, they, um, Neither of them had a college degree in the end. They didn't have the bachelor's, but they they did feel like education was really important and encouraged us to work hard to get the good grades. Uh, my dad was always like, do you want to be digging ditches? Do you, you know, <laughs> remember that coming up a lot. There were, I think he, he didn't have a thing about, you know, he's not worried about scrubbing toilets, but he did not want to dig ditches. Okay. <laughs> right. There's a line. I am not willing to cross. I work inside, not outside. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. He was uh he was um uh, uh loved men's clothing, loved the finer things in life, and he actually sold really high end men's clothing and was he had his own store for a while, but he also was the general manager of a men's suit. You know, he sold like all the all the all the big muckety mucks in town came to him to buy their suits and stuff like that. So my so dad, was... I gotta ask now, is that why he moved to El Paso? Because you you just said he grew up in New York, yeah, and and but you grew up in El Paso, yeah, and and he was selling men's clothing, which I can't. I mean, no, that, I don't that think of El Paso there. as like the the mecca for <laughs> high fashion. No. So my dad was uh, he served in the military after the Korean War and ended up his when he left. He he actually served in Japan, though. So go figure. So once he was done in Japan, they sent him to Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. And he loved the um, the sunshine and the weather. He was he loved golf. So basically, he stayed for the golf. Let's just put it that mm. way. Okay. <laughs> he could All golf right. every day. He was like, if I never have to shovel snow again in my life, again, not, you know, he liked yeah. to be outdoors to play golf, but that was about it for my dad. Okay. All right. All good. And so then how did that work ethic and value of education play out in your life? Because like, did you, did you go to college? I did. I did. I ended up, um, I ended up staying home to go to college. Uh, worked my way through school. Uh, I, I got my degree in theater, um, and I worked full time as a waitress the whole time I was doing that. So I would get up and go to work in the mornings, and then go to class, and then go to rehearsals, and then go study, and then sleep for a little bit, and get up and do the same thing the next day. So that was that was okay. college for me. How did you? get yourself to New York like you said that was always a dream to get to do that yeah did you just one day go all right I'm following this dream here I go yeah that 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 could be a longer story Lori um (laughs) hmm. so I got married too young let's just say right after I graduated from college I married 
um, a guy that I had been friends with in high school and we had connected again my last year of college. And uh, I'd always had a crush on him from like the moment I met him, but I had a boyfriend in high school also. We just never connected in that way, but we were really good friends. He taught me how to drive a stick shift. Um, he was important skill, great guy. And, um, we ended up, uh, you know, falling in love, getting married. Um, he wanted to be a police officer. And so when we, when it came time to figure out where I was going after school, I was hesitant to have him move to New York to be a police officer in New York, even uh-huh. though that's where I really wanted to go. But we thought, oh, well, let's try Denver. Go figure let's try Denver. Denver seems like a great place to live. And maybe that'll, you know, that'll be that. Um, I ended up going to Denver and I did a lot of theater in Denver. I did a lot of really fun, amazing. There's a great, when I was there, there was a great theater scene there that was um, not professional theater, but it was, I would say a step above community. It was, there was some really good work going on in town. And, uh, and I started working right away and went showed it so I worked or whatever job I was at during the day and then I went and did theater at night and you know the the marriage started to suffer because I wasn't Mm. around much Uh um there were other issues there too and in the end he didn't really like me doing theater even though he knew Mm. that that was what I had always wanted to do and so eventually I was like it's 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 time and so we divorced and I spent a year working to save enough money to move to New York, studying, uh, studying up on New York. Like I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't have a job lined up. So I did a lot of research on what it was like to be an actor in New York and what I would, could expect. I sold everything uh-huh. I owned and put my cat in the car with me and uh, drove across country to Maine go figure because again i didn't have a place lined up in new york yet so my aunt said come to maine where we are and you can stay with us for a little bit while you look and i was like all right that sounds great so i did i stayed with a month for that with them for a month went and visited the one person i knew in new york who was a playwright whose plays i'd done in denver he and his wife graciously put me up for a week in their loft bed of their living room in the greenwich village and i hit the streets that week and found a roommate through roommate service. It was crazy. And I found the best roommate a person could possibly have. I mean, everything just fell into place. It was crazy. That is when you know you're doing the right thing, right? Like everything's lining up. And that just is like the universe saying you're on the right track. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. And once I once I actually made the move into the city, I instantly got into a show. I got a temp job working as a receptionist. I had no administrative skills at this point in my life. I was actually afraid of computers and tech and anything having to do with any of that. Um, but uh, I got this job as a receptionist because somebody was out on maternity leave. That turned into the guy moving to another location and taking me with him as an admin. And I was like, okay, I know nothing about being a secretary. Are you sure you want me? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was like, yep, you'll learn. Come with me. And and that was how my my entry into New York went. I It, it, was, it was like charmed. It was charmed. Yeah. 
Well, yes. And backing up, like, yes, everything was falling into place because you were on the right path and you had to take all of those actions. You didn't just get to your friend's house in New York, in Greenwich Village and sit there waiting for opportunities to show up for you. You were out hustling which, you know, I'm not a big fan of the hustle and grind, but you were taking inspired action, which is different. Yeah. Yeah. I and was so, I was living the dream, Lori. Yeah. Literally yeah, living you, the dream. Right. So you were excited to be taking the actions. Oh, yeah. That's, again, another sign of when you're doing, when you're on the right path for you, you're excited to take the actions. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah very cool. Well, since the show is called Fine is a Four-Letter Word, I want to skip ahead a bit to the time in your life when, I mean, there's been several, obviously, when you were in the marriage, the first marriage, everything was fine for a little while until it wasn't. Um, But the story that we talked about, like, so because you became, uh, you didn't stay a secretary for the whole time, like. You're a photographer. No. I, when you're an actor, you cobble together these little survival jobs so that you can go do what you really want to do. And so, yeah. you know, I worked my way up. I eventually ended up being, you know, a personal assistant to a CEO of a hedge fund. But he let me go out and audition. And I even left for a couple of months and went and did a sum, summer's worth of theater somewhere in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like it just, I don't know. I, I did the jobs that allowed me to do what I really wanted to do. And so my, 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 experience was all over the place. And um, anything that I learned, I learned on the job. It was crazy. Did you ever feel like when you were doing that, you know, maybe this acting thing isn't going to work out and I should just really focus on this main thing that I'm doing? No. No, until I did, until I was done with acting. And that was because of motherhood. Mm. Motherhood changed me essentially. I met my my current husband, my second good chance. Uh, I met him on tour. We did a national tour of basically the miracle worker. And um, we traveled the whole country for three and a half months. And then we, you know, we both were pursuing acting careers. We were together for five years before we got married. By then I was in my mid thirties and my love of theater had become tainted with this whole pursuit of having to audition, always Mm. being at the beck and call of somebody, do I need to be available for a project? I didn't feel like I could go on a vacation. I didn't feel like I could cut my hair because if I cut my hair, I'd have to go get new headshots. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And all the things that I had loved about doing theater when I was in Denver, those had all kind of been tainted with the idea of suddenly trying to make a living at it. Right. right. Which you hear a lot from professional athletes, for example. Like they play mm. for the love of the game, but then once they turn pro, now it's a job. Yeah. It's not as fun anymore. Yeah. And the job is actually auditioning. The job isn't doing theater. The job is going and hoping that somebody will give you the chance to do theater. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so we we ended up getting married um, you know, and he went down, we, we went down to grad school after we had our first child. Our, our first one was eight months old when we went down to DC and he got a graduate degree in classical acting. And when he was done with that program, which was an intensive one-year program, I went out and started auditioning again. And I would get a call back for a show. And then he was getting callbacks for shows. And I realized, I was like, I'm done. 
Mm-hmm. I'm done. I don't want to put my energy here. I had put all my energy into that. Um, and it's a good bit of energy um, and to, to, to get out and get sh- productions, to learn lines, to do things the way I love to do them. I, I realized I did not have that energy to give anymore, and I really wanted to give it over to being a mom. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, who am I? Who am I? Do you remember that line from The Breakfast Club when they're sitting? And and I, it's the, what's that guy's name? I can picture him, the one with the red hair. And he was sitting with the pen on his lip because they yes. had to write those essays. And he's like, who am I? Yes. Am I? Yes. Every time I hear that, somebody say, I was questioning who, who am I? I think of the breakfast club. Oh my gosh. I love that movie. We just watched it again recently and I'm having a hard time pick, uh, remembering his name too. Anthony? Um, Michael Hall. Mike, Anthony, Anthony Michael, Michael Hall. Michael Hall. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I had a massive, uh, what's, what's the thing? What's the thing when you don't know who you are? What's that word? Uh, Identity crisis. Yes. Yes. I had a massive identity crisis when I stopped doing theater and suddenly became a mom. And I didn't, I was like, I had always known. Uh I've always known what I wanted to do and, and, and put every bit of my energy into that. And suddenly I was like, oh, and I love being a mom, but I knew Uh that wasn't everything. And, yeah. and so there was this, like, what, what is there for about Yvonne just as a person? Like, uh-huh. who am I? What am I? I don't know. It, what, what ended up happening is that um, I was doing some, some work from home stuff to cobble together some money while he was in grad school. And then when we came, you know, just all that, we had our second child. And that then was like, oh, I can't work from home when they nap anymore because there's two of them on different nap schedules. This mm. is not working. So I went back and got a full-time job. And it was, again, a survival job. And I got promoted within, like, I, I was there for four months. Three months there, promoted after for the last month, and laid off in 2008 when the whole, everything tanked. Mm. And I came home from that and I was like, I remember it was Halloween. I was like, turn to my husband. I'm like, what am I going to be when I grow up? And he said, you're going to figure it out. And this is after like five years of asking myself this question, right? Yeah, it's not. A lot of people go through that. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of that, that it's common. Like every people feel like I'm the only one going through this. Why can't I figure this out? What's wrong with me that I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but yeah. it's so common. Oh, it's, it's horrible. It was, it was, it was not an easy journey. And literally, so, but what literally happened, Lori, is I woke up the next morning and I turned to my husband and I said, photography, I want to be a photographer. It, mm. it came out of nowhere. And he was like, okay. And I had been trying to take good pictures with my little point and shoot camera and failing miserably. Um, because I knew what I liked and I wasn't able to do it. Um, And he was like, okay. And we had a little bit of credit left on our credit card. I bought my first real camera. I enrolled in a study from home program and I went on a massive job search to, to, so we could make money and Uh find another survival job. And, but I started doing photography and that saved me because suddenly I could do, I could make, something I thought was beautiful after I learned, um, I could make beautiful photos without 
a gatekeeper, without somebody having to cast me in a part, I could pick up my camera anytime I wanted to and point it at something and try to take a good picture and practice my craft on my own. You can't do that as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that in a lot of different occupations where you're waiting for somebody else to choose you. Yeah. Now you could choose yourself. Right. Whether or not I was making money at it didn't matter. It was right. And still be creative. Yeah. Which is probably what your soul was longing for. Yeah. Yeah. And what I know now. So, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to fast forward us, Lori, to a little bit later on, because that was I was 40 when that happened. And I slowly worked, 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 worked on the side, doing little side gig thing with the photography. Finally got to the point where I went full time. And and that took me like somewhere between six and eight years. I don't know. And so now I'm 48. I've got my full time photography business. I'm doing what I love. And still I was not. There was something missing and I didn't know what it was. And I was tired all the time and maybe a little angry and and a little depressed. And there was just, I didn't want to get up in the morning and Mm. I would hit the snooze button. And then my, we'd be late getting my kids to school and I'd be yelling at them because they're late. And I'm like, well, who's the real problem here? That that hit me one day. (laughs) And um, that was before Taylor Swift wrote the song. (laughs) It's me. me. I'm the problem. problem. It's me. me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I was one morning and my, um, they were, we were running late and I'm mailing to my kid, where's your backpack? Where's your lunchbox? Come on, let's go. By the time we got down to the car, I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw that he had big fat tears in his eyes. And uh, I was like, wow, I'm the one having a tantrum here and I'm mm-hmm. almost 50 years old. Why don't I have my shit together? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with me? And um wow and so my again my husband god bless him (laughs) Uh at one point you know it wasn't the same day probably but not too far from there i started doing a lot of self-helpy stuff right and he's like hey i i heard this great audible book um by this woman mel robbins called the five second rule you should listen to it you know so we had the account so i'm like okay and I tur- and I was like, oh, and she's talking about not hitting the snooze button. And so much of like what she was talking about, I could completely relate to. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I'm going to stop. Hit- I'm going to stop hitting the snooze. No, maybe I'm going to yeah. stop hitting the snooze button. I'm going to try a 30 day experiment of getting up before my kids every day. I'm going to meditate finally because I'd always intended to meditate every day, but never did. I'm going to finally do yoga or some form of exercise every day because I'd been fooling myself about how much I was exercising. I thought I was exercising, but I I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, 30 days of this time to myself. I belong to a gym, but I never go. Right. <laughs> 30 days. Let's just see what 30 days does. Who knows? And it was really hard because I am not a morning person. Let me just say yeah. that. And, uh, uh, but I did it and I set the alarm across the room. And after a couple of weeks, I actually started feeling pretty good. And I don't know how long it was before my son, the same son in the back of the car with the big fat crocodile tears. Um, he, I went to wake him up one morning and he said, you seem happier, mom. And uh. I was like, he had no idea what I was doing. Uh-huh. And 
that was everything I needed to hear to say, okay, you're on the right path. Yeah. We're, what did you do? So you just mentioned a bunch of things that you were going to start doing in the 30 days. So you put the alarm clock on the other side of the room and you woke up on time. But did you also, like, were you, I'm, I'm meditating during those 30 days. I'm doing yoga. I'm working out. Like, cause that's like a lot of stuff. Some people would feel overwhelmed with that much of doing all of those things at one time. The meditation and the exercise really isn't that much. So I would do 20 minutes of meditation. I got up an hour before my kids, basically. So I would meditate for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on how much time I actually had. And then I would move my body somehow. Mm -hmm. So that that was my commitment to myself. Move your body, meditate. Okay. Um, and those two things, essentially, there, there were some other things I started to niggle with, too, like journaling and affirmations mm -hmm. and visualizations. And some of that all fit in while the exercise was happening. And you know what right. I mean? So it was just yeah. like um, I was throwing all the stuff at it, you know, in that morning routine. And but it, it was working. I was... I kept going with it and I didn't feel overwhelmed with it because I felt better. And this yeah. is the crazy thing is that when I started to feel better, I was like, oh, all through my, I feel better now that I'm almost 50 than I felt all through my 40s. Mm. I have more energy. I I feel I'm excited. Like now I'm kind of looking at my next 20 or 30 years and kind of going, huh. I wonder what's next. Like, what? Yeah, what else is possible? Not like, what am I going to be when I grow up? But uh -huh. like, ooh, what am I going to be when I grow up? Like, what? Yeah, like you're okay with not knowing because you know it's going to be good, whatever it is. Yeah, or it has that possibility at least. Like, it was like, yeah. ooh, I don't know if I'm going to want to do photography when I'm 70 or 80, at least not the way I do it now, because it's, it's pretty physical, you know? Yes. And yeah. so what else might I do? And I when I started to get curious, I started going, Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, I was telling myself it was all over. I was telling myself I was too old and that I was a failure and that there was it was all downhill. And when I had that realization that I had all that trash talk in my head about my age and what was left, because I was looking in the mirror going, who the heck is who the hell is that? That yeah. who's that old lady? Because that's not me. Right. Right. And 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 just horrified by like, oh, and then I had bunions on my feet and bursitis in my shoulder. And it's all like old people stuff, Lori. And well, wait a second. I've had bunions since like high school. So. Oh, OK. See, but, but for me, I equated that with like, that's an old lady yeah, yeah. thing. And right. Because I remember my grandmother's feet were severely deformed, oh, like toes yeah. going all the way sideways. Oh, yeah. yeah. All this <laughs> all this stuff started to come up in my 40s. And I was like, so for me, I equated that with, oh, yeah, I'm getting old. It's all downhill from here. And yeah. when I realized that I was actually feeling better than I had for years, I was I that was like hopeful to me. And when I realized, oh, it's it's this mental chatter going nah, 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 nah. you're old you're old you're old if i lose my phone or my keys oh i'm having a senior moment <laughs> right you know yeah. and, and that kind of talk they they actually are they're doing research now to show that fear of aging actually affects your health yes 
Yes, that makes complete sense. But but most people accept like what you just said as like, well, that's just how it is. Like, oh, a senior moment. Like that's part of our vernacular Mm -hmm. and nobody questions it. Right. Right. And I started to question it. And then I got really excited and I started thinking, I wonder if other people feel the way I do. And, oh, what if I, and I'm, I was listening to a ton of podcasts, okay, so, right? Because I was, like, trying to build my photography business. I was listening to podcasts about building a business, personal branding, because I was doing personal branding photography for people, all this, and self-help things and all the things, podcasts, podcasts, podcasts. I was yeah. steeped in them, love them. And I was like, and I, I was like, uh, what if I did a podcast about this? What if, what if other people are limiting themselves too? And two years it took me to do it because I was like, I don't know how to do a podcast. I don't have the money to pay somebody to edit or teach me how to do it. Um, I'm a mom with kids that are pretty busy and I have a photography business that I need to grow. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. But what I really realized after two years was that the main thing limiting me was, was my own sense of... Um, who would want to listen to me and yeah. pure imposter syndrome. And when I realized that I was like, okay, that's it. No, I, I, I can't, I have to, if I, if this is what, I, if I'm, I'm going to draw the line in the sand and say that it doesn't matter if I have a successful podcast, what's going to matter here is what I learned from doing it and how I end up growing. And maybe I can help somebody else by telling other people's stories who, felt like they were done and it was all over or you know and found their way around that point in their life in midlife and have gone on to you know discover new things about themselves so that was how the podcast got started yeah i love that because it's like paying attention to the thing that keeps coming up for you and keeps coming up and it's not going to go away until you pay attention to it oh my gosh it wouldn't go away it was like a little yeah. voice in the back of my head. Do the podcast. Hey, when are you starting podcast? that podcast? Yeah. When are you starting that podcast? I had the, a similar story. It it wasn't so much that I was afraid of. It, it wasn't like who's going to want to listen. It was sort of that, but it wasn't about the imposter syndrome p- stuff so much as where there are already so many podcasts. Yeah. How do I fit into the marketplace? And like, who's going to want to listen to another podcast? Yeah, it was not that it was about me, it. but yes. like, there's already so much. Yes. But what I didn't realize is that most podcasts don't even survive past seven episodes. So there are millions of podcasts that have been started, but not many that have made it to more than a hundred episodes, which yours has too, right? Yeah, I'm at a hundred and sixty-one. Yeah. 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 It's so been over three years. years. I- Air. Congratulations. Congratulations, Lori. <laughs> yeah, you know, and while we pat ourselves on the back, I mean, I'll have to say, I don't know about you, but starting the podcast literally changed my life. Um, it has made me realize that the entire time, the one the one through line through everything that I've loved doing as far as being an actress, being a photographer, and now having a podcast is that I am a storyteller. Mm. That is why I did theater. That is why I wanted to do theater is to tell stories that change that it, where people can see themselves and in seeing themselves, they can lead better lives, you know, and it has led yeah. to me meeting people like you. Um, it is med- it is led to me meeting a bunch of other people who are looking at aging with um, 
excitement and possibility instead of that everything's downhill from here. Um, I've started speaking. I just wrote a book. I'm like, who is this? I was terrified of public speaking before I started the podcast. Yeah. The podcast was safe because it there was no video. It was a one-on-one conversation with a guest. I'm telling their story. It wasn't about me. But now I'm like, I'm ready to go talk about this thing. I'm ready to talk about how ageism limits us when we are ages to ourselves. I, I am like yeah. ready to get out in the world and just talk about this thing. Right. That's the key thing you just said is when we tell ourselves these stories. Like, I don't believe that that something out there is limiting people who are in their 40s and 50s, the Gen X or, or older. You know, you I hear a lot of people talking about ageism and I haven't experienced it. I don't feel like I've experienced it. I don't know how much of that is other people putting this stuff on us versus us putting it on us. I I have to say, I think it's both. And you have to understand that I'm coming from a career where once you're past, uh, especially as a female performer, once you're past your early 20s, you are on the downhill slope. And so there is that. But it's not just that. Like one of the there was another job that I had. I was let go from they ended up hiring a much younger woman to take my place who lived in a who lived in Ohio. I live in Fairfield County, Connecticut, where things are expensive. They could pay her less and 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 everything else. In the end, me getting laid off from that job, there was a touch of a touch of it. Do you know what I mean? Um yeah. and I and I hear it, you know, I I've met other people who this wonderful woman I met during the pandemic, she had lost her job and it was all pandemic related. Right. And she was she had a job hunt that went on for at least a year. And she was a highly, highly qualified person for the work that she was doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, it, it it's just harder it, it, there. It is out there. It is out there because it is we're all so steeped in it that I think we don't even know when we're being ageist against other people and against mm-hmm. ourselves. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I I come back to, though, if we are looking at things as everything is happening for me, yes, then it changes our perspective on everything. So even if you are facing ageism and you look at it as this is happening for me, because it's giving you an opportunity maybe to go out on your own and do the thing that you've been wanting to do but have been afraid to. A hundred percent. And now you're not getting a job because the universe is directing you to do the thing. I have decided that I am unemployable. And, yeah, me too. And mm. I I take that, I take great pride in that now. Like I am ready to step into whatever it's going to take for me to be an entrepreneur. I never mm-hmm. thought of that myself that way before. And here yeah. I am 55 years old going, okay, I am an entrepreneur that I'm putting my flag in the ground and I'm staking that claim. And it's because I just, I, I'm like, okay, for a while there it was, I, I felt like I was too old for anybody to employ me, but now I've turned, I've flipped that script 
Mm-hmm. You know, when we can do that, when we can when we can flip the script, that's right. where the power is. Right. Exactly. I love that. And taking the responsibility, which I think a lot of, again, a lot of people, and that's a whole other conversation we could get into. A lot of people don't want to have to take responsibility for themselves in any capacity, in terms of their health, in terms of their career, whatever. But that's the only way you really find the joy is to take responsibility for finding the joy. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yes. And I'll say this about getting older. I think I, my theory is, is that as we get older, we want less and less and less to be uncomfortable. Because, <laughs> well, sure, because we're tired of being uncomfortable, for God's sake. Right. And I just have it a little bit easier. But that's where the juice is. Like, yeah. if you can move through the discomfort and stay curious about what's possible or what's next or, okay, I'm come up against a wall instead of going, oh, this thing is, this is happening to me, but. Made, that's when if you get curious, it's like, oh, what is in this for me? What mm-hmm. what can I learn from this? Like if you can ever get curious about anything, I think it yeah. gives you power, you know? Right. Right. Yes. Love it. This has been such a good conversation. Oh, my gosh. Um, I like we could be here all, all afternoon. I know. I could talk to you forever. What is the name of your podcast for my listeners? It's called Late Bloomer Living. Okay. And it's available on all the podcasts everywhere. So once you finish listening to this, go add that, hit the follow button on mine, and then go over to Yvonne's and hit the follow button on hers. I think that's great advice. Go do that, people. (laughs) Yes. Also, it would be great if you would leave a a comment and a review. Yeah. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Way to ask for it. I love it. If someone wants to continue a conversation with you, where do they find you? And then I got another question for you after that. You can find me at Late Bloomer Living. I also have a community called the Age Agitators Club. I am the president of the Age Agitators Club. Age Agitators. I freaking love that. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, my email's all over the place on there. I love hearing from people. There's even a little place for people to go leave a message for me, like right there on the website. They can hit a little button and leave me a voicemail. Go do that. I leave you a voicemail? I want that on my website. Oh, it's really cool. It's called SpeakPipe. Okay. Yeah, check it out. I'm getting that. Very easy widget to put on there. Uh, okay, cool. I'm just making a note over here of that. Uh, <laughs> what's your hype song when you need that extra boost of energy? Ooh, ooh, ooh. It, pretty much anything by Pink. And I'm trying to yes. think of the name of the song right now. Oh, let's just go with Raise Your Glass right now. Raise your glass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you see her in concert? No. I'm dying what? to see. I know. The, the well, tickets. She's still out. I know. She's still out. I know. I am going to go see her because I want to see that woman fly. I want to see her yes. flying over my head, man. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Amazing. She, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She she is actually one of my biggest heroes right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love pink. Yeah. I want to be pink when I grow up. Awesome. All <laughs> right. Raise your glass. We'll go with that. But, you know, the whole, the whole, um, What's it called? Like repertoire? Her, all of her songs. Ugh, I love her. Yeah. 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 I think if I was on a deserted island, she would have to be one. Of, if I could have like three. Tom Petty is up there Ooh. at like number one, I think. 
And I never got to see him in concert, unfortunately. But uh, but Pink, I don't know. She this could be a tie. Brandy Carlisle too. They were together was, I this saw her. summer, and I yeah. was dying. But it was so expensive to get the tickets. I just I couldn't. I couldn't yeah, justify spending it. <laughs> yeah, I I gotcha. I hear yeah. you. All right. Well, very cool. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh-huh. I'm fine is a four letter word. Thank you so much, Lori. I loved being with you. Usually for our episodes, I look for profound moments in the conversation and line them up as key takeaways for you. But have you noticed the aha moments you have during conversations you don't get a chance to bring up or that occur to you hours or even days later? Yvonne's journey is a testament to learn as you go. And that's part of the theme of today's takeaways. Number one, late bloomers and Gen Xers were raised with a work ethic that defies human nature. This is an aha moment that hit me after I spoke with Yvonne. We were taught to go to school, get a job, be loyal to a company, and hang in there until we qualify for our pension. Perhaps like you, I've met very few people whose goals and dreams remain consistent for 40 years and are impervious to whatever life serves us along the way. Number two, don't be afraid to scrub a toilet. Yvonne's dad drilled this mantra into her head and it stuck. Time and again, it enabled her to both pursue her dreams and buy her time when things were no longer fine as she found herself exploring what the next phase of her journey would be. Number three, your dream can turn into a chore when it becomes the thing that earns you a living. Gratitude cookies, anyone? (laughs) For Yvonne, years of struggling to make it in theater ended in her both establishing a thriving career as an actress and then not wanting it anymore. This may have happened because it became synonymous with how do I pay my bills, which leads to my next takeaway. Number four, should your side hustle remain your side hustle? Wow, think about that. This was another aha moment I jotted down while speaking with Yvonne. Just like you're not required to have just one job or work for just one company your entire career, there's no law that says your income must come from one source or your workday has to be nine to five. You're allowed to have and even enjoy a survival job that pays your bills while your separate passion-driven revenue stream stays fun and exciting. Number five, embrace curiosity and personal development. Yvonne's ability to do this allowed her to overcome imposter syndrome and transition from a mind space of depression and frustration to one of excitement and possibility. There's a transformative power in curiosity, self-reflection, and taking responsibility for personal growth. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.